Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that may turn up late, but makes up for it with a simply fabulous entrance, and then puts money in the jukebox to get Snakes for Divine by High and Fire blaring out, which, to be clear, is firmly my get-everyone-to-sit-up-a-bit-and-pull-a-that-riff face song. Um, do you have one of them where you just want to make people go, ooh, and pay attention? Yeah, I think Mastodon's Curl of the Bill, which, like, they never play live either. Um, but yeah, that's why? Such a fucking gen- I know, it's, it's ridiculous. Such a good choices song. are weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been true for a long time, right? Yeah. There, was, there was a period where they just got really bored of playing March of the Fire Ants, and it was kind of, why you, aren't you playing March of the Fire Ants? An amazing song. It's like, yeah, we've played it like 3,000 times. It's like, yeah, we haven't heard it 3,000 times. Yeah, I mean, that's always the thing. Like, I can understand it from like band's perspectives that they don't want to play the same thing over and over again, but there's always going to be people at your shows who have seen you for the first time and they want the classics. I guess it's a sort of hard line to walk. Yeah, I mean, one of my worst ever festival experiences was watching Nine Inch Nails. And I'm like, I'm absolutely fine with Nine Inch Nails in principle and the hits, obviously, cool. I'm not one for the kind of the deep cuts. And they did, was it Sonosphere 2009? And they did nothing but B-sides and rarities. <laughs> and I just went, I, I know none of these songs. So contrary. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, fair enough, Trent. You know, that's that's very you. But, like, some of us actually have to, you know, watch this thing. And it, I just mm. went really bored and went, went and watched Cancer Bats instead. And Cancer Bats, of course, were fucking amazing. Always. Yeah, standard. Great band. Anyway, this is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast. Uh, I am Tom Dare, and with me is a man who spent Saturday watching 22 athletic young men get all sweaty and wasn't even thinking about having having any of their firm thighs wrapped around his face for once. Matt Rushton, have you sobered up yet from Brentford winning up, winning the playoff final? Um, I probably did, and then I got really drunk again, so then I just feels like a bit of a blur all weekend, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, standard, but you must be pretty happy, right? Me, I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. It was, holy shit, I spent like five minutes after the match just crying. <laughs> oh, bless him. And now you uh, get to join the Premier League, where all hopes will be shattered, and uh, you realise the enormous gulf between the 70 bajillion pounds that Man City have spent and everyone else. Um, but enough about ball sports, because we've got plenty of time to talk about things like that. Uh, we've got a packed show to get, on up with, uh, to get on with. First up, we're very sorry we're late this week. Uh, I was moving house, had a complete disaster in the process, which meant we couldn't record until Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, hopefully you will forgive us, and if you don't, you'll probably just won't be listening to this anyways and will hate us and never listen to us again in which case okay bye um in completely unrelated but pretty huge news we're really incredibly excited to reveal that from next week uh hellbent for metal is going to be partnering Notfest as part of their podcast network which already includes shows like the downbeat so we're basically you know we're officially colleagues to craig reynolds now i guess um which is a seriously cool thing to be alongside. This is basically going to help us make the show even better. So you should notice an improvement in the production value of the show. It should help some really cool ideas for stuff that we want to do with the show actually happen. Because at the moment, it's kind of, can we do this? No, go away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and that should hopefully change. Um and it'll also mean that we'll be discoverable in more places, which is going to be really good for us. It'll also mean we can start doing regular specials. 
Uh, we'll explain exactly how that's going to work once we get closer to them actually you know, being out there. Uh, but essentially, they're all going to be available through NotFest's premium service, uh, which is why that Patreon idea we floated hasn't happened. Um, and we'll be doing probably one special a month, plus a bonus one at the end of the year is the current plan, uh, which is great. What we need to make clear, of course, is that the show is still me and Matt. We have total control over everything, no one else. It's a partnership, not a takeover. Now, it will mean the show has ads in it, but that was going to happen essentially as soon as I could manage it anyway, even if we didn't go into this partnership with NotFest. So that hasn't really changed very much because uh, we've got rent to pay as well. Um, <laughs> other than that, all that you should really notice is that the show gets better because we're so excited for what this will help us do. Yeah, it's been um, quite a while in the making as well, hasn't it? So it's uh, been hard to sit on, but it's really good to be able to finally talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we're both, you know, obviously both of us have been in closets, so we're quite good at keeping <laughs> secrets. But, you know, it, keeping this one under wraps was quite difficult because we've been kind of going, oh, we want to tell everyone this is really cool. And we can finally get it out there. Right. Well, with the big announcement done, we should get on with all that lovely gay stuff. We were going to have a Camp Classic this week, as I promised you something suitably mincy this week. Um, but then the main thing we've got planned for this week's show got rather large. And while we're both perfectly happy handling large things, sometimes you have to know when that's just a little bit too big for what you had planned. So the, the mincier than thou Camp Classic is going to be pushed back to, the, to next week. Uh, and we will begin with an early visit to the Hate Crew Gay Bar. This is the heavy metal gay bar we've set up where the jukebox has all the obvious stuff you could think of, uh, but we need to keep adding to it to make sure the staff aren't driven mad by endless plays of square hammer and chop suey, uh, and that's just me. So every week we pick one current we record we're mega into to stick in and explain why. Matt, I barely even need know where I should be starting with your pick this week, so please God help me out and try and describe it. Yeah, uh, I've brought in Swiss band Ungfell with their third album, Es Grauet. And this is basically fucking old MacDonald had a black metal band. Um, there's so many farmyard noises <laughs> on this. And it's really like transportive to sort of medieval times uh, that this record is like conceptually based around. You, you know, you hear the hooves of horses galloping by, the sounds of roosters in the morning, and it works really well to put you into that place, I think. Tom, I thought you'd like this as well because, um, you know, it's black metal with all that weird shit I've just talked about, but also elements of folk and the chorus of Tyfell's Antlitz is quite power metal. So, sorry, uh, the, the chorus of what? Oh, come on, let me do it again. Tyfell's Antlitz. Good try. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I do like this. I it's mental. It's like it's. I can see what they're going for, but it's it sounds a lot more wacky than I think it's intended. I think that actually helps it though. I think it sounds like it's not taking itself too seriously as a result. And it would if this sounded po-faced, there is a real danger it would be utterly shit. Yeah. And it's really good. Um, I'm not sure how much I like it though, simply because I think I'm going to need until about November to really have it all settle in. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, the first time I played it, I I didn't know if I loved it or hated it. Um, it's it's very it is, much that, isn't it? Yeah, it's taken me like a few listens, but I do really like it now. And this, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff that I've described, um, the not that metal parts, is not usually my sort of thing. Uh, but I think they use it really well 
to sort of amalgamate everything. And I mean, the co- what was the first proper track? I can't remember the name of it, but um, the chorus on that. Tiefels Antlitz. Oh, is that the one? That is the first one. Yeah. It's it's after that that I can't pronounce anything. There's <laughs> one. There is there is one. Oh no, I tell a lie. There are two songs that I can pronounce. One is because it's very easy, uh, and the other one is because there's a uh, Powell song of exactly the same name. Oh nice. Stoskabet. Okay. Um. But yeah, like, yeah. There's there's so much going on here, but it fits really well together. I think it like it has a sort of cohesiveness about it that you I guess wouldn't really expect from something or that a lot of fans if they try to do something like this would sort of miss yes i think that's the thing that that makes it work because that like the the bits where it does go into the kind of like it's also almost renaissance acoustic guitar stuff it there was a real danger that could sound just too hey nonny nonny and be really (laughs) kind of mental but in context actually although it's bonkers it really works and it does make sense it just is a kind of there's a big oh what the hell is this at first yeah and i mean it's underpinned by some good black metal guitars right that's the thing that's why yeah. it, it all kind of that's the base isn't it yeah it's it all hangs together off that and everything else is is basically there for not color but it's there for for shaping out the the whole and not just getting stuck into yeah and just like builds the atmosphere yeah like there's a couple of instrumental pieces that i really like as well and the third track you just sort of picture a guy playing on a corner of a medieval village like you know busking almost yeah and there's and uh in mord and tobel there's a fucking jaw harp like 2021 is the year of the jaw harp who'd have thought it yeah it was certainly not me uh, i mean I've, <laughs> I've, I've, i i'm predicting year of the hurdy-gurdy to come back but um that hasn't Please happened no. Uh, um, well, 2008 was all right. Uh, I mean, the the one thing I think lets it down is that some of the, I don't want to say clean vocals because they're not clean at all, but the melodic, harsh vocals let it down a little bit and that some of them are not brilliantly in tune. Some of them are fine, but some of them aren't massively on the note, which isn't very helpful. That's just kind of, that's not setting an atmosphere. That's just kind of, oh, that's wrong. But that is the only real kind of genuine downside, I think. Other mm. than that, it's fun. It sounds like the people playing it are enjoying themselves, and that's quite hard to, <laughs> to not to go along with. Yeah, exactly. There's a really cool story about this album, too, on the Bandcamp page. I won't read the whole thing because it's quite long, but if you're interested, go check it out. Um, yeah, I, I really like this album. It's pretty, yeah, it is like pretty different. It's what I really loved about the Wayfarer album from last year. You know, I find it really captures the sort of essence of what they're trying to do well. and takes you to the place where they want to and there's yodeling as well so yes the yodeling outro is surprisingly <laughs> amazing and less funny than i expected it's preposterous mm. yes but not like comic um that was quite fun i, I see the wayfarer comparison it's a lot better done i think like they sound a lot more like they can play their instruments than wayfarer can um there's less the kind of wayfarer sound like bad cobalt it's like cobalt if ah, co- come on now, the, like, the two great Cobalt records are not brilliantly performed records, but the, the Wayfarer album is like that, but worse. I just, nah. Um, I still don't like that album. Um, and also, like, I have no interest in the Wild West. The moment I hear Honky Tonk Piano, I just you know, <laughs> would really quite like the uh, Native Americans to kick everyone out in a, uh, a, a surprising resurgent victory. Anyway, enough about that. Um it's 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 good it's a fun record um i think you enjoy it more than i do but that's fine 
I mean, I don't think it's going to be like troubling my interview list or anything like that. But like you said, it's just it's fun to have on. You know, it's um, it's not like massively sort of revolutionary or anything like that. It's just it's a cool listen. Yeah, and th- speaking of cool listens, um, that's probably enough of uh, recorders and chanting uh, for this week. And Es Graulet by Ungfell has taken its place in the jukebox. But my selection this week is, although a much more straightforward affair, is very much a good, fun album, because I have been spinning Wretched Abyss by Noctool loads, so I'm putting that in. Um, Noctool is Serenus from from Svalbard's Skyrim-themed black metal project. If you don't know what Skyrim is, what rock have you been living under, just Google it. Everyone, there's so much Skyrim stuff on the internet, it's not true. This is basically very straight up, so it's, it is just kind of riffs, mostly, um, there's then the piano outro, which is gorgeous. Uh, but it's it's really riff heavy, quite melodic black metal, which is absolutely frozen cold. It's also although it's kind of it's tickling all my you know black metal fan happy places. It's a very not black metal fan friendly. So if you don't like black metal and you want to know oh where should, what from this year should I try out? This is absolutely the record to do it with. But despite the fact it's still, it's quite accessible, it has lots of bite. It's really, really cold and and sharp, and it's enormously fun. I'm worried you're not with me on it though. Um, no, I uh, I'll put it straight out there. I don't like this. Um, I've tried many times, but I'm just not getting it. I think I sort of know what parts you and others will really like about it, but the other parts just sort of outweigh that for me. You know, there are some really cool melodic leads that become really catchy and, you know, I found them stuck in my head quite a lot. But I don't... I think the record sounds really bad. I think the production on this is awful. Oh, I couldn't disagree more. I love the production. It sounds mm. like it's being recorded in somewhere that's really cold. It sounds like it's being recorded in, in you know, Bleak Falls Barrow or somewhere in, in the heart of, of, of Frozen Skyrim. I, I really like how chilly and echoey it sounds i think it's it's a very deliberate mm. choice I th- no i do i think i do think it is deliberate i think i can tell that it's just not for me i think there's like not much sort of dynamism going on uh even the guitar oh. i just like complimented like they sound really thin i feel uh i wouldn't agree with that either i think they sound kind of really deep i think they just sound kind of like there is a crisp top layer which is relatively thin and then this kind of deep la- layer of, of ice beneath it i disagree with the dynamism thing quite badly actually i I, the thing i like about it is that it isn't a one-trick pony of a record because although sure you've got songs like elven sword and the title track which are just kind of head down power up raging songs you've also got some quite significant shifts in mood so like uh, a song called evanar which is is a really kind of chilled out frozen beautiful thing it's like being a kind of in a, a a beautiful dead city that's in a very tranquil place and just looking around and thinking this is very peaceful and incredibly cold and dead. Um, but then you've got um, this kind of soaring, almost post-metal, because obviously there's quite a lot of post-metal involved in Svalbard. Some of that leaks into a song called Death Bell Harvest and it lends this kind of, this really soaring atmosphere to it. I came for the big riffs and the big riffs was the thing that made me go, oh, this is cool and those melodic leads are great. What I stayed for was that that dynamic variety, dynamic songwriting, and that I do do find it quite varied. Okay, interesting. Um, I will give you the track Winterhold. I like that track. I think that's really cool. The guitar lines, sort of creeping and spooky, almost in parts. It sounds like you're at a haunted house or something. Yes, it does. Um, 
yeah, I think generally though for me with this album sort of theming on Skyrim, I usually can't get with music that's like tied up in sort of nerd culture, I guess. Um, oh, like I find it quite distracting, and I know that's going to be like like that's not a criticism by any means. It just it doesn't speak to me because I've like never been in that world myself, you know. Right. Yeah. No. If that's if that's a problem for you, then that will be a pro- well. No, actually, I don't even think that. There's three reasons I I love this. First is that I I do love Skyrim, right? And I love the kind of frigid, dirty atmosphere that Noctul have created because it, that just immediately transports me back to all those places I've spent hours creeping around, and that association gives me a lot of good memories, right? And obviously, given my love of immortal cold black metal is very much my thing right but second this the the second thing is that it's good lord those riffs right that's the central thing that's got me in but third and i cannot straight i cannot really state this strongly enough that thank fuck for musicians like serena cherry who know how to make really ace melodic black metal without needing to just sound like that band fronted by the homophobic murderer I mean, it's always a bonus, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, there's such a glut of bands who sound like that tired old, you know, worn out tire. And then you've, you know, you have a band that comes along and like this and, and says, we're going to sound like our own thing. It's our own distinctive idea. And we are going to sound nothing like that thing. And it's still really melodic and it's accessible and it's fun. And that's great. And that is something that I just go, oh, yeah, I'm into this so hard. I think a lot of people will be. I think this is a me thing, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, From what like, I've heard, it sounds like it is a you thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like even on the singles that have dropped, um, quite a lot of people that I've been talking to have been big into them and sort of been looking forward to the record. So, you know, I don't want to come across too harshly on this because I, I do firmly believe it's a me thing. Um, I will back you up on the outro, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's nice sort of change of what's going on, you know? Yeah. Sounds really cool. On the nerd thing as well, I obviously am a confirmed nerd. <laughs> that is definitely an association I like because, you know, black metal has a really uncomfortable relationship with nerd culture, right? Because the the biggest association with nerds in black metal is the stabby Nazi, right? He's the kind his LARPs and his tabletop RPG mm. game are, are really painful reminders of of what an awful dreadful shit he is and that he's uh, him kind of trying to be the standard bearer for nerd culture in black metal just makes me want to kind of burn all my raymond feist novels actually no they don't i love them too much but (laughs) you know that's kind of what it makes me feel but finally to have someone who says no 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 i'm nothing like that i'm i'm not a stabby nazi i'm quite the opposite quite the opposite yeah yeah (laughs) Um, so, and I'm going to have a, have a record that you can embrace as a nerd and be happy about. Like, that is a, an important thing. That said, Serena could be singing about car maintenance or gardening, and I'd still think this ruled. Because there's no amount of enjoyment of lyrical themes that can make me like music that I otherwise wouldn't. It's all about those songs and how much they make me bang my head and how chilly the whole thing is. Uh, but anyway, that's enough Elder Scrolls for now, I think, because I have some Draugr to slay later, and I need to you know, get on with that. Uh, Richard Abyss by Noctul is in the jukebox now, and while we'll have some more cool music for you next week, that is Time at the Hate Crew Gay Bar.
The focus of our show this week is a section I'm calling Don't Fear the Rainbow, um, because apparently I want to make a Blue Oyster Cult reference. Uh, this is where we will take re- questions from the straight folks in the audience. Uh, mostly, there is one exception, which will hopefully explain itself in a minute. Uh, you've sent in loads, so we're just going to start going and see how many we get through. If we've got some left at the end, we'll come back to those at another time. So without further re- preamble, let's just crack on. Right. Yeah, this disclaimer, I've seen like two of these, so I'm absolutely terrified about some of the things I might end up in unintentionally revealing here. <laughs> I have my cunning plan revealed. <laughs> uh, right, first up, Hijos del Rol on Twitter asks, uh, what can we do to make gigs and the scene as a whole more safe and welcoming? Matt, I'll let you go first. Um, I mean, I think we've sort of spoken about this um, in a couple of the interviews with Don and in a couple of the side-by-sides. I think one of the first ones of those on the show was um, talking about Skindred with their very explicit messaging at each of their shows that is not only hey we welcome everybody but also you know if you are any types of fucking what homophobe sexist like anything we don't want you here like get out of our fucking show and you know we've, we've said about like a couple of smaller bands that we're seeing doing that i think it's such an easy thing to do for big bands to do that is going to be what really sort of makes a difference if a lot of big brands start sort of getting behind that then people who do hold those discriminatory sort of views and beliefs are going to be less inclined to go to those shows which is obviously a good thing yeah i i I agree with that i think that i mean it helps that there are now big bands who are willing to do it right like architects uh, having them around is really helpful i think a lot of it is things like that and it is affirming things honestly i think what it sounds awful, but the only thing which is really gonna make things more safe and welcoming is more people being out visibly. So it's it's um, it's gonna take people just being out and people getting used to the idea that there are queers at at gigs, which is gonna be a fairly painful process for a little while. Yeah, definitely. It's gonna have some awkward conversations, but like the things that bands do is great in helping people actually turn up to the shows and be out in the first place, right? It's it's a it's a big thing for me. It makes me much more inclined to go. Like, if I see you do that, I'm much more inclined to buy a ticket for your next show, right? Like, having seen Skindred do that, uh, immediately I'm going, well, next time you'll come to town, we're going. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's quite a simple equation. Whereas if, you know, if I'm made to feel uncomfortable at a show, I'm less likely to. Obviously, if you, if, you know, if it's just neutral, then that doesn't affect either way. But... I think the the thing that's going to really change things long term is having out people in the crowd and also out musicians on stage. You know, having yeah. people like Mina Caputo and you know Rob Halford has has done a significant amount, but really it's it's going to need lots of people. Yeah, sure. I mean, what you said about like in the crowd is a very valid point as well because um, I remember a couple of years ago I was at a Can't Swim show. Obviously, you know they're a punk band; they're not really a metal band, and generally that's more accepting um yeah but like i um was sort of stood behind a guy who was like sort of back against the wall type thing like literally like in between bands and it was on his phone like on a gay dating app i saw and i was like i mean my first sort of reaction was oh shit another queer like fucking hell there's more of us at these type of shows um but then i was like it's really sad like because he was very clearly hiding it like hiding his phone sort of thing i just thought that was like really sad um because you know you get sort of straight folks who obviously 
would be on their day in Hapson, like not caring at all. And you'd obviously get straight folks in the crowd holding their partner's hands and whatever. And I mean, you know, that's sort of touching on a different topic, but it's all going to be helping towards that goal, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that there are, uh, there's certainly one dating app I've been on where I, I definitely would be hiding it, even if I was in a gay bar, because God knows what's going to pop up on your screen. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think I hear, I think here Grinder is a little bit better police these days. But there was a time where the chances were, if you went on Grinder, if you weren't horrendous looking, you were probably going to see some cock quite quickly. Um, and you know, if it doesn't matter what how accepting the crowd you're standing in is, no one particularly wants to see a giant erection pop up on their phone in the sight of other people. Um, actually, no, I ha- I'm to tell a lie. I do know people who've definitely definitely been happy for everyone to see all the dick pics again um but yeah i I agree with all of that um let's move on question two uh friend of the pod and one-time guest host abby alawalia asks what public spaces apart from clearly lgbt friendly ones like pride and gay clubs uh do you feel comfortable holding hands with and kissing your partner in are there any at all uh crying face emoji uh matt uh would you like to go first there um yeah, I'm like quite well. I'm incredibly cautious with shit like that. To be quite honest, um, I don't really feel comfortable with it um, much at all. I like I live in Lincoln right now, and a partner that I was with here like a couple of years ago, um, we was like walking this. We were walking up Steep Hill, um, and I, I don't know. It was hard because like we were looking at everyone else, but it's it's not necessarily rough there. But like, there's no lights, and it feels a bit like you could you know could be a bit dangerous and yeah we were just like had to act like mates almost um so that yeah. we would be accepted if people saw us and they wouldn't you know wouldn't want to fucking <laughs> attack us or whatever i guess um so yeah i mean i get i don't know maybe i'm like paranoid but even at pride or something like that i tend to like I t- pride isn't really my thing i'm not really like into sort of camp stuff but like i've been you know to a couple and I don't know, I always get, like, feeling that there's going to be people there that are just there to sort of harm others. Yeah, start trouble. You never know whether it's going to be the neo-Nazi or the the religious extremist of some some denomination or another. Exactly that. So, I mean, as sad as I know this is going to sound, I tend to sort of keep that in the house, you know? Yeah, gay gay bars and clubs is different. I've definitely, yeah, sure. I've definitely got off with partners in and outside gay bars and clubs. Central London, I generally felt pretty safe because it's so touristy and it's so cosmopolitan and it's so you know you're so often right next door to the pink section of town anyway that it generally felt pretty safe. That said, I know that was probably false sense of security. And I know, I definitely know of gay people who've been attacked in central London outside of there, almost nowhere. I mean, I certainly felt very uncomfortable with it in Cambridge. I've just, I've literally just moved to the North of England and I, I am not entirely sure of the lie of the land here, but I've, I've heard and read enough to make me think that there are, very few places outside of the pink triangle in in Newcastle. It's called the pink triangle, by the way. I haven't just like made up that phrase. <laughs> um, I don't think there are going to be ever going to be any really. Now, maybe that's you know, that is an 
irrational fear. But yeah, yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. But you just never know, do you? Like, I I just I've heard too many people who've been beaten up. Exactly. I mean, I'm essentially a fucking nihilist. Like, I don't really give a fuck about anything. Um, and I try and sort of take that into, you know, how I am like outside, like with a partner or whatever. But then I'm like, hmm, could get stabbed to death though. So maybe yeah. not today. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between nihilism and you know, flopping your wedding tackle into the lion's mouth and flicking its <laughs> love buds with a wet towel to uh, steal a red dwarf. Like you know, it's 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 very very difficult to to remove from your head all the stories you've heard about people who've exactly. had horrible experiences and how rare it is that you see a queer couple holding hands. Exactly that as well. I think I said before on the pod just like sort of a different thing but um when i was at school um in primary school like the last couple of weeks before we finished year six we had like a few people in from like students in from what was then gonna be my secondary school um talking about shit and i was wanting that because like there was quite a few of them and i was wanting to see that there and i thought i would when i got to secondary school was like two thousand people there i was like surely there'll be some like out like queers and (laughs) nah (laughs) yeah I, I yeah I, I've I've had so few experiences in that have, have made me feel safe. I've had so many experiences where I'm I'm aware that someone is looking at me and my partner and has twigged. Yeah, exactly. And we've had so many experiences where we're pretty sh- we've kind of had a, a, a tradesperson or a, a, a some kind of um, service that we're we're interacting with where people have been perfectly re- perfectly nice and then twigged that we're a couple and suddenly there's been this kind of drop in temperature yeah. and it's it, you know you just get to the stage where you just go let's let's keep it you keep it a bit more discreet and it's horrible because you know if you want to be affectionate with your partner but it's i don't feel safe no completely agree unfortunately so sorry that was a that is a sad answer but it's unfortunately the way both of us feel, and there there will be people who have different opinions to us, but that's yeah, that's us. Uh, right, different. This hopefully will be slightly less depressing question. Uh, <laughs> this question comes from someone who I'll leave anonymous, uh, but they describe themselves as a mostly closeted uh, gay man, um, and the reason this question is left in, despite coming this supposedly being a section for people straight people to ask, should become apparent. Uh, how do you even casually meet? other gay people that you might be interested in uh, that aren't or quite clearly already in a relationship in real life. Is that even a thing or is dating mostly a thing you do via dating apps if you're gay or have you always had at least one gay bar close to your home? I will go first here and say, uh, and say that I kind of I generally feel that this is probably a similar answer to how straight people would actually answer the question which is that it's really bloody difficult in that the number of straight people i know who are in a relationship where they just met is comparatively low like most people most people i know who are in couples are in a couple who met where they met in a situation where it was kind of designated as a space where you are you will meet a potential partner be that you know uh, some form of, of date or you know blind date an organized date some kind of dating app or or a, a, a social socializing venue where it's kind of accepted that people are going to hit on you if they think you're hot i generally think it's like it's roughly the same for both except it's much harder for us to have it, that happen straight folks simply because they're less of us right 
there's less of us than those that are us are often closeted anyway. Like we yeah. sort of discussed. So, so as I mean, it's happened to me once in terms of meeting a potential partner who I didn't seek a partner. It just kind of happened. Like it does happen, and you will just meet people. And there was like one of my first kind of my first real or dropping all pretense that I could ever convince myself to be straight that happened from just a gay person who I knew and I realized I was quite badly crushing on and and you know had kind of quite serious lingering thoughts on and 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 I knew later realized he was a total arsehole and good god that was a, a bullet dodge um but it's quite rare that most most of my people, the dates I've ever been on have been people I've met in a dating space. I mean, I met my current partner on a dating app, a date emphasised dating app, not a not hookup app. <laughs> but you know, we you know we didn't know each other. We didn't meet. We just met through online dating essentially, and it worked. Yeah. So, although we, you know, I haven't always had a gay bar close to my home, uh, and I haven't always been brave enough to go to get. I certainly, be, you know, before I'd been out with people. For, in the first place, I would never have gone to a gay bar alone. But yeah, it's. I think it's kind of. It's actually just you need to put if you want to meet people to potentially date or just to be friends with. You need to put yourself in a space where that's identified as something to do. That's my yeah. thought. No, I agree. Um, I, I've met a few, like maybe two or three partners. Um, like naturally, like not on an app or not like in a sort of getting you know gay bar or sort of like you said a dating space or anything but it is definitely i mean you know not to get simplistic but it is a sign of the times as well isn't it like there's you know dating apps have fucking taken over the world these last 10 years or so but like i i don't know i've i think it's hard as well with being queer because you've like even if you were to sort of like start talking to a guy in a bar there's always or you know more often than not that sort of thing where you have to go through the is he just talking to me you know, as a friend or sort of thing, if you just like being friendly, sort of, you know, if you don't know that they're gay, and then you have to work that part out. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't know, like it's fucking, you know, it's been a pandemic on 15 months, I can't even remember what it feels like meeting anyone naturally, never mind a potential partner, Christ. Well, yeah, and I haven't been single for, <laughs> I haven't been single for nearly seven years, so, you know, it's it's, it's my information on, on meeting potential partners is quite out of date now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, although so you speak about taking over the world, have you seen the um, second tier of professional rugby yes. side in France, Beer It, uh, have been sponsored by Grinder? Yeah, I saw you um, tweeted about that the other day. It's pretty cool, I gotta say. Oh, it's so good. particularly there's like a couple of there's a, a slight problem in rugby. Rugby is actually quite good at, at, when it comes to homophobia, right? But there is a, a a a slight problem in that some of the countries that play rugby who were colonized by britain and where there was some very homophobic strain of anglicanism imported they have a real problem with um religious homophobia um and there are some religious homophobes in rugby who are quite have been quite high profile including one extremely high profile player who plays for england and i've just, i desperately want those two sides to play each other so that the <laughs> the homophobic player will uh, regularly have uh, lots of strong men grappling him and rubbing grinder against him. 
which god that's that would be hilarious it's very unlikely but it's possible actually no i if, have no interest in robbie at all and i also want that to happen <laughs> yeah um, i will i will i will tell you if it's on, if it turns out on telly there is a chance it will happen because there is a vague chance they will end up playing in the same um european competition together nice. uh, which would be very very funny Anyway, on to the uh, before we move on to the next question, this uh, the person who asked this said something that I, I want to read out, which is that it has really helped me in the uh, he loved said he loves the podcast and it, it's really helped him in the last few months. Hearing that you're not alone and how much better everything can get when you're not hiding anymore was really touching and self motivating to me, which honestly made me well up a bit when I read it. Um, thank you know who you are. Thank you so much. That means the world to hear. Yeah, echoed. I mean, that's lovely and. Yeah, I mean, it's what we're here for. You know, we all need that, don't we? So. Yeah, very definitely. Moving on, Alex asks... Uh, hello, Alex. Uh, from Maiden's Theatrics to Halford's Bondage Gear to Man Wars Black Metal... To, to Man Wars Black Metal Quartz Paint? I can't read. <laughs> uh, from... Uh, I'll start again. From Maiden's Theatrics to Halford's Bondage Gear to Man War to Black Metal's Quartz Paint and Scary Skull Mic scan Stands... Heavy metal is also, is so very gay. Why do you think it attracts so many homophobes? Do you think it's to do with a macho insecurity? Um, not not to throw you a difficult one there, Matt, or anything. Yeah, no, 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 not so much like the macho insecurity sort of thing. But well, I don't know, maybe it's related. You know, we've like we have that feature, yes, homo. Um, we've talked like about you know man of war and whatever before. I guess like it is. You know, those people trying to look really fucking hard and really, you know, manly and stuff. Looking really hard. Mm. Yeah, I could have phrased that better. <laughs> um, you know, we as queers see it as like, holy fuck, that looks, that looks very gay. You know, maybe like a lot of straight folks see it as the band has intended it. And I guess like, I'm not, you know, obviously there's going to be homophobes uh, just naturally from that. So. I think it might be... A slightly more complicated thing than than is we necessarily have time for. I think there is definitely going to be some macho insecurity, right? Because there are an awful lot of people in metal who are male and cis and straight and quite happy with all of those identities and embrace kind of manly things, but didn't really find a a, a place amongst male society in in their youth, and that the place they found one as a teenager when they were struggling with things like that was heavy metal. And if you are, if you are that kind of thing, then there's something very, very attractive about, you know, these people who are saying, no, you're, you're fine. You're with us. And we don't expect you to like football or, you know, be extremely handsome and, or any, or know what to dress or be cool or anything like that. There is a certain element of people looking at, the masculinity within heavy metal to replace a, a, a masculine identity they didn't find elsewhere, right? That's there. That's the thing. But there's also going to be a load of people who are just blissfully unaware of how incredibly gay it all looks and just think it looks cool. And it, there are going to be people where there's nothing more complicated to it than that. Um, yeah. But also, it's, I think it's simply that there are lots of homophobes out there. And so inevitably... Well, that's sort of what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah. There's just a percentage of people are homophobic. Mm-hmm. Percentage of metalists are going to be homophobic. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and we, you know, we're both massive black metal fans as well. And it's interesting on that one because obviously that is the subgenre, I guess, with the most homophobes. And it's also the subgenre which is the most 
okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so God. Like, so again, gay. Like, we, we see that as like, come on. <laughs> and then all the homophobes go there. Like, weird. It's the one that Power Metal looks at and think, mm, bit lip wristed. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so gay. Um, Robin Ferris asks in the next question, uh, you've talked a lot about how being queer in, about being queer in metalhead circles. I'd love to hear more about your experiences of metalhead within queer circles. How do people in those communities react when finding out you're a metaler? Um, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I like this question. Yeah. Uh, generally, <laughs> I don't want to paint us up with a brush here and do the whole stereotype thing, but pretty much 99% of the queers I've met are just like into fucking you know modern pop music um i've not met many other queers that are into metal um i had an ex who was into or he said he was into rock and what he meant by that was you mean six and that sort of shit oh damn um, that's like i don't know um that wasn't the reason i ended it with him but pff, i was tempted um <laughs> I, I've I've certainly been dumped for less acceptable reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, like anything um, harder than that, like or heavier than that, not really sort of met any other people. But like, how have how's that gone down myself? Fine, but I guess surprise really. Um, and then I'll you know play something really heavy, and I guess it's just the general reaction from people who aren't into metal. It's like, oh my god, it's all, it's all just noise. How do you listen to that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a really good point because my my reaction, honestly, from queer metal, from queer non-metalers, is relatively similar to the reaction I get from non-queer non-metalers, in the sense that most of them go, "Oh, you're into metal," and the eyes just get glaze over, <laughs> and it's you know. It's basically like I started talking. It's the look I get when my better half starts talk starts talking about you know particle physics. My partner is a physicist, so that's kind of it's kind of, he does know what he's talking about. But it, it, he needs to get about six words into a sentence, and I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and he may as well just be speaking at me in you know Dutch or something. And I'm just there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's a similar kind of thing that they just kind of have no idea what what you're talking about. A small percentage will go, oh, it is just noise, like you just said. But yeah. you know, a load of them will just have no, not only no in reaction, they'll just have no interest. I think queers will be slightly more keen to tell you what they think if they have a strong opinion about it. But my general reaction, most people are just like, yeah, oh. we're mouthy shits, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few, <laughs> there are a few people have just gone, oh, that's interesting, and been quite interested, but even though they're not interested in music, um, because they've gone, oh, novelty. Um, and and you know, I remember one in particular. I thought that was I had a really nice conversation with even someone who had no interest in the music, but thought it was quite cool, a cool concept. But I think generally it's kind of it's a reasonably similar reaction. To, yeah. To non-metalers. I mean, I do also like go to a fair few pop shows and stuff like that, and I sort of usually make a point of wearing quite a heavy bands T-shirt just so I can see if a there's any more of me, um, and be just a sort of strike up conversation like you said yeah uh, yeah it's quite a good w- it's quite a good way to find other metalers is to mm-hmm. uh, to just advertise that you're a metaler right exactly cool uh next question johnny asks uh not so much quite well it's a question but uh, not so much a question but 
just would be interested to hear more of your thoughts on typo negative i know you briefly mentioned them when talking about paradise lost they're one of my favorite bands and part of what i enjoy about them is the tongue-in-cheek ironic humor combined with ott goth however on recent listens i've become a lot more aware of how a lot of things have dated badly the bloody kisses cover is a prime example of the oversexualization of lesbianism you talked about with jamila in particular the whole playgirl i like goyles incident is certainly certainly seems to come across now as a bit of a homophobic slash gay panic thing as a straight guy i'd be interested to hear a queer perspective on this overtly heterosexual band um i'm going to kick this one off because i had to warn johnny that we are not going to go into this as deeply as we might (laughs) because there is a section coming on this very thing. The background to this, in case anyone doesn't know, is back in the 90s, Pete Steele, who was a very, very big man and was a very good-looking man, uh, who was the front man of Typo Negative, did a shoot for Playgirl, which was full frontal, obviously. Um, and everyone found out he was extremely well-endowed, and obviously a lot of gay men found this extremely interesting, and Pete Steele was quite shocked to find out that not only are a sizable or were not sure if it still exists were a stro- sizable section of um playgirls audience gay men rather than women wanting a, a five-fisted shuffle um that but that he had in particular had gone down very well with gay men and was not very happy about this and his comments were kind of like i'm not homophobic but and then proceeded to say a couple of things that i found quite homophobic and have made me really struggle with that band as a mm. result it's very difficult to listen to them knowing that i will say i think i'm probably being a bit harsh because i don't think what he was saying was unusual for the time i mean that's what i was sort of going to pick on as well like the you know he's dead now he's been dead quite a while and he's not like here to yeah correct the record if you like um so it's a tough one i mean musically i don't really like them so it's quite a simple one yeah i don't really struggle with listening to them because i don't really want to yeah and i I also struggle to talk about the you know the hypersexualization of lesbianism thing because i i sound like a bit of an idiot when i start talking about things that really need a a female perspective to talk about with any kind of authority um i will say that i do find that a bit uncomfortable but it's it's kind of informed discomfort rather than something that i have a deep understanding of yeah i i do find that on just on a personal level though it's uh, people who make homophobic comments and never really walk it back properly i find it very difficult to enjoy their creative output because it's such a you know it's such a such a clear message that i'm not welcome there yeah, of course it's very you know it's it, it's uh, it's very diff difficult thing to enjoy but this will come up again, so apologies. This could have been quite a long answer, but we will we will do that with more kind of a more in depth look at another time. Uh, Matt Miller asks, and this I think is a very good question. As someone who doesn't personally experience any bigotry, bigotry towards me, I have to go off of accounts from people who do. But even I feel like bigoted opinions and attitudes are becoming more prominent in the last few years. In your opinions or experiences, is this the case? Is it more that these opinions have always been there? People are just less afraid to say them aloud or online now. Is it anonymity in social media that has perpetuated this? Is there another reason, or have people genuinely become just genuinely just become less tolerant, or is even the uh, is it even the case? Am I just being pessimistic and actually we're 
we're a more tolerant site as a whole than we were in the 2000s. Uh, just wanted to get the opinion of two people who probably slash definitely experienced more uh, difficulty with people's awful opinions in real life rather than reading them online. Uh, Matt, would you like to go first? Well, he mentions the the noughties, and obviously you were rather young then, but would you rather I went first, or would you like this one? Um, I'm fine to sort of start this off. Um, I don't want to like get political, but when we are living in a country who, that's run by a homophobic fucking racist bigot, then I think it's people who already hold those views are a lot more likely to be able to think that they are free to express them and sort of get away with it. That, I mean, that's the same in, you know, the last four years in the States. <laughs> Whether those views were already there or if they've just sort of come out more, I don't know. Um, I think it's hard to sort of get in that mindset. But, I mean, there's my two cents on that, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's quite hard to answer this without getting political, isn't it? Because yeah. it's like, if, it's the, if the leader of the country has quite a clear track record of saying things that are prejudiced it's quite you can't not um my take on it's slightly complicated complicated because i like from a person in terms of it, what i've experienced personally bearing in mind i am white cis and male my experience of bigotry is getting better but i think homophobia has become less socially acceptable on the you know on a on a, on a ordinary street level and in online spaces than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. I just think it is more people know gay people and are unhappy when they see prejudicial shit said against us. I think if I was female, not white, not from a... did My name was not clearly from a Christian English um, background, then I think my experience would be quite different. That said, I have heard a lot of people try and insist that actually we were much more tolerant 15 years ago and they're all people who are white, mostly male and cis and have a a Christian name and therefore are not really talking about anything they experience. They're talking about what they perceive. And I think people who are from other marginalised backgrounds than mine would say actually that was always there you just didn't see it you are just now more aware of it so i my perception is that we're just more aware of it than we were some of that is because we've got fucking green lighters in high public office and some of that is simply that 15 20 years ago all this shit was happening in message boards rather than on twitter so you didn't yeah, see that's it. The big thing is in social media and stuff like that. Uh, and twenty years before that, thirty twenty years before that, it was all happening in you know national front meetings and and you know. I mean, if I ran you through a list of the awful shit that I used to hear when I worked behind a pub in South London, my fucking Millwall fans coming in and and saying what they think about the state of a bunch of like, literally, there is very little that I could say now that wouldn't immediately get us taken off air. Right. It was. It's kind of language where Apple, Spotify, etc., would just say we are not going to list your podcast if you're going to use that kind of language because that was common things to say. And there was some, yeah. you know, some really horrible. It wasn't just. It wasn't just your standard, you know, racism on the basis of skin color, color, or racism on the basis of uh, Jewish status or Muslim status or uh, non-British status of any kind. It was. It was. You know. It was 
sect- horrible sectarianism, like really kind of violent, aggressive anti-Irish and anti-Catholic prejudice that was, ge- when you heard it, was genuinely frightening because it wasn't ironic and it wasn't joking. It was deadly serious. It was, mm. it was, and it, there, there is a word beginning with F to refer to Irish Catholic Republicans, which was thrown around with an ease that was really worrying. And there was a genuine intent of violence towards it. And that was, you know, that was 2003. So it's not lot, not that long ago. So my my perception is that that stuff was all there and it's just it's got it's just got better for the gays yeah i think it is um a sort of awareness thing isn't it because like i you know homophobia aside for instance let's say transphobia that seems fucking rife right now yeah um like i see so much of that and i don't know whether that's just because it has got worse or if it's just because i see more of it now like i'm sort of made more aware of it in my circle you know what i mean yeah that's an in- the trans one is an interesting one because and again i'm we're both speaking about things that we we don't experience directly it's just how we perceive it i i genuinely think there has been an increase in that one because it's got organized essentially what happened was that in when it became abundantly clear to the campaigning radical christian right in america that they were losing the same-sex marriage issue and that that was, you know, they were not just losing same-sex marriage, that they were losing the public battle on attitude to homosexual relationships in general. They switched um, tack, and they basically went, right, we're going to go off to trans people instead. And there have been a bunch of causes that have had enormous money flood into them, mm-hmm. basically to campaign against the rights of trans people. And a bunch of them have been in very, very, very big um, national publications here. So it's money that's flooding into Britain. So we kind of, some of what I'm seeing, I'm sure is not just my perception. I'm sure it's real because it's it's there's been a genuine attempt to do it. And it's not like, it's Just not like some grand... Horrible. It's horrible. It's not like some grand conspiracy or anything. It's not the, like a shadow council controlling all the media. It's a one or two very rich groups yeah. who are just kind of funneling money into certain campaign groups and then there's a bunch of people in high profile places who've been kind of convinced by their their rhetoric that there's something to it right who genuinely think that trans mm-hmm. people are sexual predators who are basically just trying to get access to women's face spaces for nefarious purposes almost always ignoring the existence of, of trans men and particularly ignoring the existence of, of trans gay men i pl- plenty of trans gay men out there but in the in the eyes of these groups they don't seem to re- it really exist because they they break certain narratives you know the the they always paint the the trans man as the confused lesbian mm. which is you know well if it's trans gay man well that's obviously wrong so you know you've got a slight <laughs> problem there i think that the trans the anti trans movement has some serious legs behind it and i think that's probably a slightly slight exception to the rule in what I've seen, I, trans people, for the, I'm sure there are plenty of you listening to the show who would like to set us straight if we're wrong. Please get in touch. We will um, definitely be happy to say, we are wrong here because this isn't our lived experiences, it's yours. I'm just repeating what I'm... I mean, look, we want to be wrong. <laughs> It'd be lovely if we're wrong, uh, but I don't think we are. Uh, right. 
I think we need to call it there or this podcast will be the length of a special. Uh, thank you all for your questions. They were, without exception, completely appropriate. Um, no one asked us overly personal questions. Well I survived. done. <laughs> you survived. Uh, no one asked us, you know, you know, about our, you know, favorite position or anything like that. Um, and there were some really excellent topics raised. We will pick this up again as soon as we can and get to everyone we haven't answered. If you, we haven't got to your question, don't worry, it wasn't rejected. It's just we didn't get time for it. We may also make this a semi-regular thing too if people chip in with more questions between now and then. Uh, and not just because Matt is uh, slightly happier that he can get through it without embarrassing himself. Now he hasn't revealed <laughs> anything too personal. But that's all we have time for this week. Uh, Matt, it's been a pleasure as always. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, I hope it can become a sort of semi-regular feature. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, but until next Monday, listen to Ungfell, listen to Noctool, and remember, it does get better. Farewell, Dovakin. Oh, that's my first interview next week. Please be nice to me. Why would we want to do that? <laughs> Fucking tell me about it. Bad scheduling. <laughs>